All right. Well, today we have a very special guest. Um, I'm really excited to talk to him. He's just just so knowledgeable in the world of business, recruiting, um, has a background as an engineer. He was a digital recruiter client earlier this year with him and his agency were in the program. Uh, it's Abhi Narvikar, a visionary uh, in recruitment. I think one of the first companies to do two-way video interviews. And he founded his uh, company back in 2010, the Fervid Group. Um, he's recently launched Careers Unleashed, which is an exciting project. We'll talk about as well. Um, I'm just so excited to have him on here. He's just an awesome person to work with and to work for. His team absolutely loves him, and he's got a ton of great insights to share. So excited to talk to him today, Abi. Thanks for being here, man. Thank you so much, Clark. I uh, really appreciate uh, you having me here, uh, as well as you know. I always say that um, yeah. the universe has a plan for all of us, right? Because I had seen your posts on LinkedIn, uh, I had followed you for about six months, and then I decided. You know, all the content is completely making sense. So let's let's talk to Clark. And uh, we are blessed to have spoken to you. We have had a good run with uh, your team. I think my team learned a lot and we'll, we'll go into that. But thank you so much for uh, having me here today. Of course, of course. Well, I, I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, it's been, it's, it's kind of wild now. It's almost been a couple of years since we first spoke. Uh, time goes by quick um, and I'm excited to kind of dive into it. Well, we, we can start because you have, I mean, you've built a couple you know, really successful businesses and just the different parts of, you have the recruiting, the consulting, careers unleashed, but let's kind of go back to the beginning. I know you had a background as an engineer, product manager. How did you get into recruiting? Yes, no, absolutely. And, um, you know, the story is very interesting because if you look at my background, I come from industrial engineering. And if we look at what industrial engineering is, it is to take a process and make it better. So after my Oklahoma State master's degree, Slumberjay, it's an oil and gas service company, global company out of Houston, they brought me here and I was helping them with their software. So using software in oil and gas and how to commercialize that software, take it to the market and how to optimize the process. Right? After Slumberger, there was another company called Petris, which again got acquired by a larger oil field service company called Halliburton. So there I went in to do some very large projects for uh, the Saudi Arabian oil company, Saudi Aramco. And um, that was a $2 million project. Uh, when I first started, it became quite large. And why I'm explaining this is because during all of this time, I was the hiring manager. So I had to hire quite a few people for my project to take it to fruition. And all of these people were very specialized niche kind of talent, geoscience, drilling engineering, production engineering. And my internal recruiting team, as well as some of the agencies I worked with back then, they were all good people. They would give me resumes, which looked very good on paper. But then me as a hiring manager, when I spoke to those individuals, although they all were great uh, people, but their skills didn't match up with the project that I was running. So I felt I was wasting a lot of time just interviewing people who were not a fit. And I always believe in transparency and communication. So you spend even more time uh, rejecting them, communicating with them why they were rejected because you want to close the loop properly. So I just felt the whole process was very inefficient. And when I spoke to my other hiring managers, they also had very similar kind of experience. They would say the same thing, saying that we are just spending a lot of time. And at the end of the day, because of desperation, you might compromise and make some hires, which also doesn't really do justice to your project. 
So with this problem scenario, I use my industrial engineering process optimization methodology saying, how can I change this uh, process around recruiting? So my background didn't come from being a recruiter. So I started the company with the whole context of we not only find people, but we choose a niche where when we ask candidates a question and they answer something, we really understand the answer. And if we understand the answer, then we can dive deeper into, okay, can you explain this portion a bit more? So basically doing the heavy lifting of the interview portion upfront and then submitting the best candidates to the hiring manager. But there was a problem with this whole story. The problem was, why would somebody trust that, uh, you know, Abhi has asked the right questions, you know, because I have never done recruiting before. They don't know me as a recruiter. So they would, in fact, think that, it, you know, they might not know what they are doing. To solve that, we use technology. So in 2010, videos were not this popular. Uh, in fact, recording a video, HR thought that they would get sued. Um, and correctly so, because if you don't, if you didn't do the interview correct, if you didn't ask the right questions, if the background was incorrect, you could get in trouble. So there was a little bit of uh, training the market, training the HR people on how we would do the video interviews. So the idea was record the interview, submit the top five candidates, and that was our differentiator, if you may. So going niche and then differentiating ourselves is what our plan was. I dove into it and I'll explain what happened in the first year, but that was my beginnings of uh, executive recruiting back then. Mm. Oh, I, I, I love it. I mean, I, I think a lot of people either come from an agency background and be like, all right, I can do this better if I could do it my own way. Or like you come from the industry and they just see a broken process. And they're like, all right, there's got to be a better way to do recruiting. And it's not that there isn't, but I think you start to learn, right? The execution is really hard. And can, as you said, convincing then companies now to give you write that check and to trust your hiring process is also hard. So yeah, talk to us about some of those initial challenges that you had, you know, in the early stages of, of the company. Yeah. So the first year was, I think the, of course, for every business, the first year is the most challenging and most interesting. So once we started the company, my contacts came through, right? So people at Slumberger, at Halliburton, all of these big companies knew of me. They knew that this is a credible guy. You know, if you give him a project, he will execute it for us. That's what they knew. Now, of course, I was applying that theory in recruiting. But uh, one of the big companies came through. They gave us a project. So within, I would say, the first four to five months, we did a project around all engineers. And um, we built $350,000 in the first four months of my company, right? So you can imagine the thrill that we had saying that, okay, uh, you know, we should have done this long time ago because uh, we, we have started off yeah. really fast and we executed it very properly. Meaning the client said that this whole process, the experience that they had from a client experience standpoint was stellar. And same thing, we made sure the candidate experience was equally good so that at the end of the day, if we ask somebody for a testimonial, they will give us a good testimonial because the experience, the journey was good, not just the end result, right? So that, that was a good portion of me starting in the first four months. But then uh, reality hit. So the first one, you can say we were lucky maybe, or maybe just spoke to the right person at the right time. And the next ones I realized there are two things that happened. One is 
I started understanding the commoditized nature of recruiting. So calling people, the first uh, hurdle is we already have our internal recruiters. We don't need an agency. Second hurdle is we already are working with a lot of agencies. We don't need, there's no reason for us to talk to you right now. All, even though you have a unique value proposition, even though you think you are better or different than others, nobody would, nobody would even give you a chance to talk to you. So we started learning some of these things in the fifth, sixth month. But this was not the big problem because I come from product management. What I mean by that is I have been trained to understand unique value proposition, what is my target market. So I could have applied all of those things. The problem what happened was me and my mindset. Let me explain this. I think it'll be fun. Everybody that was introducing me or talking to me was introducing me as a recruiter. And, you know, please don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with being a recruiter. But I took an identity hit. I used to be a VP of product management. And when I went into a room, People wanted to listen to what Abhi had to say because I was the expert for that product, for that market. And people wanted to listen to, hey, Abhi, so what's happening in the marketplace? While as a recruiter, first of all, people didn't even want to talk to me because they are like, oh, another recruiter, right? But more importantly, in my mind, I started fighting with myself. I said, I'm not a recruiter. Why are you calling me a recruiter? I started a recruiting company and, you know, I'm trying to solve your problem. So... There were a lot of issues in my own mind that were problem, bigger problems for my company. And um, I have to be honest with you all, right? So I used to come home and my biggest supporter has been my wife, Rookie, and she's the reason why I even dove into starting a company. But I would come home, I would complain to Rookie, saying that I think I did the biggest mistake of my life. I shouldn't have quit um, what I was doing. Sure, we'll make money, but this whole thing about people calling me a recruiter, I just, I'm not a recruiter, just was fighting this battle in my own mind. And Rookie, being the smart person she is, she told me, Abhi, you need a coach. So that's the first lesson, right? However good we think we are, we need to invest in coaching. We need to learn from others. We need to have a third person to talk to. Talking to Rookie, my wife, although she gave me great advice, I think it was burning her out. It was straining our relationship because every day saying that, hey, this is not working, was not helping our relationship at all, right? No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I worked with a coach, a phenomenal coach. In fact, he is no longer with us. Uh, it's very sad, but Coach Pasquale Scopelletti from Boston uh, really helped me in the next, I would say, four months of my journey. And all he did was work on my mindset. He worked on the whole thing saying, there is no exit door, Abhi. Meaning, don't think that Slumberger, Halliburton, all of these companies you worked for have their doors open and they'll hire you back. The only way for you to move anywhere is forward. You have taken this decision. You have to make this work. Don't look at what if and yeah, sure, I can get a job if I go back to Slumberger. So what he was training me on with lots of anecdotes and stories was the fact that burn those bridges. You have taken a decision, own it, and move forward and yeah overnight this didn't happen but working with him I kind of realized that this is the mindset I need to change so I did stop thinking about my backstory saying that I can go back I said there is nobody that is interested in me I'm going to make it my road successful now 
And that's when my mind started working on how am I different? Why are they saying no to me? Sure, they're calling me a recruiter. I'm going to be the best recruiter ever, right? So when I started owning this process, owning what the universe was telling me to do, that's when we started really making the progress. And in now, you know, I, I told you all, four months, we were at 350K. And after this whole journey, in I think 1.6, 1.8, so one year, one and a half years, we were a $1.2 million company, right? So it's the lesson learned for me was all of us can do whatever we want to do. First, we need to convince ourselves that we are worth it and we can do it. Once we convince ourselves, then others will be convinced. If you're fighting in your own mind, at least that's what happened to me. So that was the first year challenge that uh, I faced, Clark. It's, um, it's just a great story. And it, it, it's all the lessons that I feel like always apply to us as like owners and founders in the first year or two. That mindset piece is huge. And it's a topic that's come up a lot the last few weeks of if you want to be in this agency world, like, yes, it's commoditized. Yes, it can be, quote unquote, maybe unsexy at times. Oh, another recruiter. Right. But if you're going to be in it, you got to make the choice to be all in. And once you get there and you, you're all in for yourself. I think like that's what clients and candidates feed off of. They they start to believe it and, and feel it. And that's what's new to them. That's how you start standing out. Plus, you had the subject matter expertise, I'm assuming, because you knew to, which niches to go after. Um, yeah, like when that switch hit with the mindset, how did like how did that like break through? Right. Or like, I guess, kind of what was the key to breaking through to those clients to get into one point two? Right. Like how, how did those companies start to respond to you? Perfect. No, great question. So, so, you know, once I started fighting with myself on who I am, what I have started, I started worrying about the actual problem in front of me, right? So earlier, when somebody called me a recruiter, my mind would block it saying that I'm not a recruiter. That's the first thing that would happen in my mind, saying that I have so much to offer you. Why are you calling me a recruiter? And this was my own problem, okay? that Again, don't get me wrong here. I'm not saying recruiting is... That's what ha has made us successful today, and I'm proud of it. But at that time, 10, 13 years ago, it was a different story. But once I dealt with that, then my mind was focusing on what problem did my client have? I started thinking like a product manager. I started owning their problems as to these are my problems. Can I solve it or not? So we, we didn't ever really sell anything. The client that gave us the most amount of work, the whole idea was to go in there and ask them the right questions so that they understand, I understand the market, I understand the challenge they are facing, and I have the network to find the right people to gr help them grow. So this was a company which was investing in a new platform, and they wanted a lot of people to come and help make that platform successful. I come from that world. I know the challenges of building a platform. So I started talking that language. I started talking like a subject matter expert. And that's when they started believing in us, saying that, why don't you start with three roles? It was all product management roles, because that's what I came from. But it was all very niche. This was geoscience, like geophysics product management, drilling engineering product management. Even there was a chief data scientist role that we took on in the first three months of that new company. But then once we kind of uh, got those roles and started applying our framework, our methodology, our interview questions, so 
we went into the depth of these are the interview questions we are going to ask. And we would give it to the clients saying that, bless it. I, am I going to ask the right questions here or am I wrong here? So they also felt very, the process was very transparent. There was no like, what is Abhi asking? They could actually see it. We recorded the video interviews and those three then became, we ended up hiring 24 people for them in that year, right? So it was all about subject matter expertise, knowing your uh, interview questions to ask. And once you start doing the right way, the candidates, you could easily tell which one would be a fit for that particular client. It didn't mean all other candidates were not good. They were not a fit for that client. They would have been a fit for somebody else. So we handled that portion also very transparently. But um, that's how we started really making the progress by understanding the client requirements, the client problems, and really proving to them that I understand your problem and this is the way we would solve it. I, I love that. And there's so much in there to take away if you know, you're a recruiter, agency owner listening to this, and especially you know getting started or maybe hitting a plateau. I mean, it comes back to the base. I mean, you qualified a good client. There's a fit for working with them, for you and them, right? Really doing all that work on the front end to get the right questions and to leverage your expertise to get the right questions. So then it saves you so much time on the back end, to, as you said, to get the right fit. And, and one of the things you said in, in the beginning in your introduction was how to close the loop the right way. And I think that's a thing that is dropped so often, like that, that ball is dropped so often by recruiters and agencies is just not knowing how to close the loop. And a lot of the times it's like a couple words or two or how you set up or how you leave the initial conversation can mean everything in closing the loop. And that is a critical part for, I think, a good experience for candidates, for clients, for recruiter morale and not draining your energy, right? If you have candidates kind of being upset with you all the time or clients, like where did that kind of come from? Because I know you prioritize that so much, but, uh, you know, I guess, I don't know if you want to kind of like talk about that, right? Like the importance kind of when you realized how important closing the loop was really as an agency, right? As a recruiter and kind of how you went about doing it. Oh, very good point. So, so you know, we very quickly realize and we all should own the fact that we are in people business. And in people business, you know, feedback, transparency, loop creates trust, right? So candidates, for example, might really not know your recruiting company. They might not know who you guys are at all. So they are taking a chance themselves to talk to somebody and they're talking about their career, which is so important for them. And most of the big companies, what happens to them is the person, the candidate, is just another name in the database, meaning it's a motion that they go through very fast. While a smaller company, we have that leverage of making the person feel that, hey, you're not just a candidate in my database. We need to get to know each other a lot more, trust each other so that we can find the right fit. So when I talk to somebody, it doesn't mean that uh, I'm going to represent you. That's not what recruiting is about. And that's what I wanted to change. So there's this whole notion of most placeable candidate. And I'm not saying it doesn't work. It has worked. And for a lot of people, that strategy works. But the MPC idea has some issues as well. Because when you go to a client, I feel, saying that I have the, most, the best candidate for you, 
right? Sometimes you don't know what the client really wants. You don't know their culture. You don't know honestly if this person is the best candidate or not. Maybe technically they are, but once you start talking and understanding culture, you realize that, oh, wow, this person is not going to be a fit for this role. All I'm saying is we need to really understand the person on all sides. You need to understand the client. You need to understand the candidate. And to do that, you also need to use technology. So, you know, we were the first ones, not first, I would say, one of the first ones to do two-way video interviewing in 2010. Then in 2012, we realized from doing a lot of work, how do we create trust with a candidate even before they start talking to us? Right. So in 2012, we started using video pitches to candidates. Right. So it was not just a LinkedIn message or job description saying, hey, your profile matches. Um, you know, do you want to talk to us? We, in fact, used to create videos. We even do it today. But now we are doing it with our own tool, which we are commercializing. But the whole idea was someone like me would talk so that I can tell the candidate what exactly my requirements are. So they understand that this company knows the client very well i'm establishing that trust saying that okay wow that whatever he or she said it really means that they know this client so i want to talk to them and when we talk to them we as you correctly said we set the ground saying that you know even though there are these five six criterias i'm looking for there are a lot more things during this journey will happen because the hiring manager sometimes will throw a curveball at us so all we are saying is we are evaluating if this is going to be a fit. If it is not a fit for any reason, you will know why this is not a fit. And sometimes it's not just because you didn't have a particular thing. You might have had all six, but there was somebody else who had it in a better way. So meaning there were certain things in culture or something, executive presence, that they chose the other candidate. So don't beat yourself on it. But this is the reason why you lost. And we have been very transparent. Most of the times, I think 85, 90% of the times, the strategy works. Sometimes the candidates get a little too defensive. So they start blaming. They start saying that, no, but maybe they didn't understand this. Maybe I have done this before. And you also have to be a coach. You coach them saying that maybe, but you know, you... You sold yourself. You also did lots of things during the interview and it didn't work. It's okay. This is a place for us to learn, saying that how can we do the next one better? So you take on a little bit of a coaching advisory role and create that trust. When you create trust working with anybody, the closing of the loop becomes much more easier. And then the experience, even through rejection, they will think that, well, you know what, Abi, I want to work with you guys again. Right. That's what we want to leave it at. And not all the times it will happen. Some people will get pissed. You can't help it. You know, you need to move on too, because the rejections are a part of the process. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think just that, yeah, that upfront transparency is how you build trust. And to go to your point about the MPC, that's kind of that's what we teach. If you're going to use the MPC approach, don't pitch the perfect job to the candidate or, you know, or to the client, don't pitch the perfect candidate. Be like, hey, I, this, I just want to know, like, is this in your ballpark? Is this worth a chat, right? To then be able to filter the right way. 
Because like, I do often say a lot of times the person you send as an NPC isn't the one that ends up getting hired if there is a role. So you want to be – you don't want to say, hey, I have the perfect person for your company, to your point. But, hey, I'm working with this candidate. It kind of looks like there could be a match. Is it worth discussing further to figure it out? And I think those, like, subtleties in the approach that I think you guys have mastered, like, that's what makes all the difference, especially in building those cold – you know, making those cold outreach warm. Right. It's just like if you've done if you're in the right niche, you have the subject matter expertise, it's a relevant reach out to the right person. It's a relevant candidate. Right. Though that hiring manager has like a lot of respect of like, oh, this is a thoughtful outreach. Right. It might not be the exact 100 percent, but the person wasn't promising that either. And I think that's where recruiters get in trouble is just over promising early on for really no need, because the over promising doesn't you can't promise anything until, as you said, you find out the candidate and you find out the client and you, it takes work to get there. So why promise anything on your initial cold outreach? Like it makes no sense, but yet you and I get those messages, I'm sure all the time promising stuff. And I'm like, well, why? Right. And some services I'd actually be interested in if they didn't make those promises and they are like, Hey, is it worth just exploring? And I'd be like, yeah, sure. Like I, that's been on my mind, right. To think about and to talk about. So and I think that's probably why we jived together last year when we met, because that was definitely kind of my approach. And I think what you wanted to do with some of the automation, the content, some of the tools, right? What's the blend with tech, but still having the personal touch, right? With, with a firm like yours. No, absolutely. So, so you know, there are two things, right? So one is, um, first of all, great point about MPC. And I always tell even my team saying, you know, we talk to different trainers, coaches, we listen to podcasts. There are so many ideas that come through it. But devil's in the detail, meaning the MPC idea has worked for so many recruiters. right? But we need to understand how it worked for them. Uh, because it, as you correctly said, if you do it the wrong way, it's not going to work for you. And then you will say that, well, it, this idea doesn't work well because we didn't take the time to understand the nuances of how that person made it work, right? It's very critical to take ideas, but really think through it and make sure that you can execute it the way they executed it, because execution strategy is one thing. Can you execute it correctly? So, so first of all, the MPC point is very valid. Now, the second one is if we wanted to grow our company, which we, always have right so when i first started the business it was not to as i said be a one person recruiting shop or we had a business partner so two plus two people recruiting shop we wanted to create a big company so one of the things i wanted to bring up is think big right so meaning how do we get to a bigger place than where we are today and we need to really understand that which means that you have to build a team around your company you need to have the processes so that the team can execute your thought process and ideas and then the technology to assist them do all of these things so people process technology and um, so the people portion we started hiring right in 2011 so as soon as we got that other big client we started our hiring process we our strategy there it has worked very well uh, it, included diversity, inclusion, we rehired people um, who had taken a break in their career. So a lot of them were not getting a chance in these big companies. We went to them and we hired them. Right? 
and they are still with us, phenomenal people. So we built a team. Then it was how do you, you know, a founder, a owner has the passion, the drive to make his or her company very successful. So they do all sorts of things to make it successful. But when you start hiring a team, how do you make sure that they feel the same passion? They are still excited about the same way you are excited. How do you make their life easy in following the processes that you want them to follow? And sometimes you can't do it yourself. So that's when, in fact, we work with you, Clark, saying that, you know, I wanted to take my team uh, into outside of their comfort zone. So my team is super good at sourcing uh, the operations portion. They know how to do very well. And I wanted to see if I could take them and also have them do sales, just like I did both sides of the world. Can they do both sides of the world? And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, because now you're challenging people, you're challenging, taking them outside their comfort zone, you're not playing on their strengths, which means the, the things that they're learning will take time. So, uh, uh, you know, we worked with you for a while and then I can't expect an immediate uh, change in them to say that now they are all sales gurus, right? But it takes a little bit of time to grow your team and then use automation. Now, your question of, how do you keep the balance? I think the balance is kept by still having, using technology so that they feel it's not an automated response. They feel that, you know, there's a person behind this message. Uh, and that's why videos are so critical. So they get to see you talk, not just a message that is going through. Um, also, what we learned from you is um, having that LinkedIn presence on you know, regularly posting something. So people, the trust is created not just by talking to a person, but reading somebody's thoughts. The authenticity comes through saying, okay, this is the kind of person he or she is. And then wanting to talk to them. And that's how I, I came in touch with you, Clark, because I saw your posts and all of your posts made sense to me. I was like, okay, this, this all is making sense. I want to take my company to the next level. And I feel Clark's company will be phenomenal if the, he or his team can help my team. So there definitely has to be a balance to create the trust. But there are so many portions of this that you taught us that I think we are still using. We haven't mastered it, but hopefully we'll keep growing there. Yeah, and I appreciate that. And it's so, what you described is so real. Right. And sometimes in the coaching world, it's like, you know, it's, it's almost like an infomercial, right? Like, is it, get results in three days, like, you know, change your life in a week. It's like, it's not really how it works. Right. And I, I was trying to be really authentic and real with what it is. And we're giving big concepts and big things for teams and agencies and recruiters to tackle. Right. It, it's hard to figure out how to write and what to say on LinkedIn and in your message and your profile. But what, one of the coolest things that I think I saw across the board, now I know one of your team members had already kind of fixed up his LinkedIn a little bit, you know, prior to the program, but the rest of the team, it was cool just to hear back before automation, before content, that just optimizing their LinkedIn profile, they were starting to get better responses on their in-mails, which they were already doing every day. And they're like, wait, I'm getting more responses and people, I'm getting better responses just for making the shift on the profile. And that was exciting to me because I think the light bulb, at least the light bulb definitely went on. And then I think they kind of realized like, wow, the rest of this stuff, there's a lot to learn here. 
And there's a lot, like, I think everyone's at different levels to your point, what you said about your team of like what they're willing to take on, you know, it kind of depends on the stage of their career. And as you said, their strengths, but it was just like kind of starting to get those light bulb moments of like, well, what else is possible? And it planted a lot of those seeds. And I think that's, really helpful as a founder as you said to kind of know the strengths and weaknesses and when you put someone out of the comfort zone like what do they kind of grab onto i think sometimes that surprises you with who grabs onto what and who uh, who reveals a skill set that's really good i mean i think that's what was cool was seeing a couple of your team members be really good at the automation piece or really good at the content piece and there's like something there like they kind of had the instinct for it i'm like well, you should like keep working on that, right? Like now that you know there's a skill there that you haven't tapped into, like see where it takes you, right? And like see the ways that you can kind of fit it into the rest of the the recruiting puzzle. Uh, so I, I don't know if you saw it the kind of the exact same way, but that's kind of what I was seeing working with your team. And it was, it was really cool because we all had those learning moments that kind of really blossom at different times once we once we realize them. Uh, absolutely. And what, you, you know, we are talking about here is, you know, um, empowerment, right? So a lot of us start doing something thinking that's what we can do. But there are so many more things you could do. And if you have uh, the right environment and, you know, we are not afraid for each other to fail, try something out, learn and try it again. So that's what empowerment is all about. So if, if you look at us, you know, just to establish credibility here, you know, we won best places to work uh, four or five years in a row for Houston Business Journal uh, with our team. And that was some of the things were because of flexibility of work. I mean, we were doing remote working since 2011. Um, why did that work? Because we had established the trust. How did the trust get established? By doing such things like training my team having them own the process, try something new. Even if they failed, it's okay. You know, you're in a safe environment here. Let's keep growing. And all of these small, small things we do becomes big eventually, right? So if you are a recruiter who's making $200,000 today and your aim is to go to that $1 million, $2 million, first of all, we need to have that growth mindset on how we need to think big, we need to dream big. Once you start doing that, then ideas will start coming to you saying that, okay, is this niche that I'm after going to take me there? Should we diversify? Should I take myself out of the comfort zone? And it's not easy, right? I'll give you an example, recent example where we are, you know, whenever somebody thinks of fervid, fervid, by the way, is fervor, passion, okay? It, the name came from passion, being passionate about what we do, fervor. And fur with noun form was because of the videos. We do videos. So we played with that word, right? Yeah. But anyway, so um, whenever somebody thinks of fur with, they think it's an oil and gas recruiting company. That's the, because I come from oil and gas world. We've done a lot of oil and gas. And in the beginning, all of our pitch included names, which were oil and gas. Even my first story, I told you, Slumberjay, Halliburton, all are oil and gas companies, right? So when we started diversifying, even today, after 13 years, I got an email recently which said that we have no doubt that you are super good at um, the oil and gas stuff, but in our industry, we still have some concerns. Right? So that is then on us saying that how do we tell them that our brand is not just oil and gas? How do we 
convince them, the whole thing starts again on, I also know your industry. Now you're stretching yourself. You're going outside your comfort zone, but you know that you've already done some work here and I can replicate it. When you start thinking like this, that's when your mind gives you tremendous ideas, right? So as a founder, I have seen it. And that's what I was trying to do with my team as well, saying that when we start stretching our goals, when we start thinking out of the box, miracles happen. I mean, you get ideas and the universe also starts helping you. You will get a call from nowhere and then you have a new new client because you were thinking along those lines. And I know a lot of people, you know, this is philosophical, right? The law of intent, meaning if you have the right intent, things will happen. If you kind of doubt yourself or doubt the process, things will not happen. So, yeah, we apply the same philosophy for our team, for our process and technology. Yeah, I, I think it's great. I mean, mindset is huge. The intent, um, having a process, just doing the work, right? I mean, those are all super impactful. And then so you, you apply that, you build the trust with the team, which I love that. And so then you're able to kind of really scale the company and kind of implement thinking big, uh, you know, I guess in kind of in kind of sh- sharing that, I mean, do you think it was kind of the, the trust? Or, I mean, you want to talk about a little bit kind of how you were at one kind of area and kind of took the next step. Was it really the, the trust, the trial and error, the working with the team? You know, what's, you know, in terms of like executing, thinking big, what, what were the keys there? Very good. Yeah. You, you know, all of these philosophies, um, you know, theoretically sound good, right? These are good sound bites, but then how do you make it happen? It's a very good question. And, uh, it's a combination of all. Uh, let me let me be honest with you, right? So um, we experimented with even introducing new products, new ideas, new pricing structure, um, talking to clients about doing only a portion of recruiting. So we introduced various different elements to test the market. And very quickly, when you do a testing the market, you kind of understand the competition saying that, you know, people will start saying that, oh, yeah, but, you know, there are 10 other companies which are doing this, RB. I don't see why I would give it to you. So very quickly, you start understanding if your idea for you is going to work or it is not going to work. And through this trial and error, there are areas, just like you were saying, you, you know, when you were working with my team, there were some people catching on to one, some people catching on to the other, and you could see the potential. Same thing happens on the client side. So on the client side, what happened to us was, since they already trusted us, they started opening up new ideas to us. So our consulting business came like that, by the way. So um, the diversification for consulting happened because one of the big clients said, you've already hired X number of people for us. They have been really good people. You know, they are still with us after two, three years doing wonderful things. But now we need specialized consultants in this area. I know this is not your core business, but can you help us out? This was an opportunity for us. It was like, okay, why will I say no to this? It is still a people play. It's not taking me completely away saying that build a software or something. So let's try it out. That's how we started doing our consulting business. It was a great blessing for us because that portion of the business, uh, in fact, brought in more revenue at one point than the recruiting business, right? So we then started understanding that you know, taking some chances like this, going a little bit away from what we were doing, all of it was working. Where it is a problem, I'll also tell you that. 
if you as a business owner eventually your end goal your exit is to sell this company to a bigger company right if that is your exit and we all should think like this what is the big plan here are you going to just keep doing this for the rest of your life which is fine are you creating a company which you then sell and do something else fine if that is the plan when you are diversified in different services one company might not be interested in all your portions while if you had only executive recruiting they would be more keen on snatching your entire portion so there are some problems that happen with diversification as well but if you handle it correctly if you plan it through your company keeps growing in a big way so so my point what i was saying is you know when you're thinking big what we did was we tried new products we tried new services you we tried new pricing structure we diversified into complete consulting which was not our core business right we failed in some of these first few things which was fine we failed fast right we, we didn't take one year to fail we failed within that quarter saying that okay this is not going to work guys forget forget it because focus is also key the one thing i learned was when i was telling my sales team to try different things we were really unsuccessful because they were not focused and it was a leadership problem right because i had given them three different ideas they were going at different clients trying it out and nothing was sticking but then we said okay take take the focus and put it on this for this quarter all i want you to do is intent this is what i want you to sell and it succeeded so focus trying to try different things out all of these combos took us where we are and then the last thing i would add is because of this exit goal and everything that we've been trying we realized that service business the multiples are lower than a software business yeah so now what we are doing is this is again growth strategy is some of these video things that we are doing for ourselves we are making it available for other recruiters as a product so slowly we are trying to think can we transition into a technology enabled service to a technology company eventually it is an experiment will it work i don't know but we are anyways using that for ourselves so even if it doesn't we are making our process better so it's not a complete disaster so so th this is the way we think trying to grow our company does that make any sense clark i it's i'm doing the same thing it makes perfect sense it's brilliant and you have things that are adjacent that are overlapping that's why for me i had digital recruiter and then i was making some placements and then we folded in digital recruiter talent group and it all works off each other right digital recruiter clients become partners of digital recruiter talent group the recruiters in the talent group can get some coaching consulting that we're using right implementing to make their processes better so they have like that marketing and system support to let them do what they do every single day and then there's a whole right there's the, the, the course method the learning method and then there is some text ideas that i have that could all be recruiting related that we could also use internally right as we're building out so for me it makes perfect sense and i hope listeners you know if they haven't kind of thought of those strategies especially to your point with multiples of a staffing firm i mean really the best multiples tend to be like those long-term contract type companies but not everyone's doing that right if you're doing a lot of direct hire you know those types of placements your multiples are going to be limited but that cash flow could create opportunities in the market to your point 
and your paying clients will typically give you the best, I would say, services and products to develop, right? And they might even pay you to figure those things out. And that's the ultimate win-win. Uh, in, in my eyes, I think any business owner's eyes, right? Is try to get paid to build something or to provide a service, you know, even if you don't have it mapped out, right? You can give, you know, a discount or a case study type discount, right? I'll give you two for this price if you end up being a case study for it, yada, yada. That's always what I love versus spending two years building something out, realizing no one was ever going to buy it. Uh, so it makes a ton of sense. And I, I think it's a brilliant approach. No, absolutely. And, you know, the, the one thing that we have not discussed yet, um, which I'm sure you do a lot as well, is the data itself, right? So measuring the success for growth is very important. Um, when the client says no, why did they say no? Or how many people did you really talk to? Even on the candidate side, you mentioned earlier that um, the emails that you were sending got a higher response. Well, what does that what is a high response which in mail got what response once you start looking at the data you can replicate that methodology more and more and more and test the theory out saying that is this the reason why we are getting more responses is the video getting more responses right and with that because of this whole data data analytics you mentioned that i started a company in uh, a couple of years ago called career unleashed and there what what we thought of doing was, you know, we had so many resumes already uh, in our database because of our recruiting company. And I saw another problem scenario and you have a six month old baby very soon. Uh, you know, ba the baby is going to be a toddler and then college, you, you know, it doesn't, you don't want it to go that fast. But, but uh, I've had, I have friends now who have kids in high school and they have uh, college students as well. And I saw a problem there. And that problem was a lot of people didn't know what they wanted to do in their life or they would have an aim saying that I'll do Bachelor of Arts in Psychology and, um, uh, you know, I will do Master's and PhD and become a counselor. After they did their bachelor's, they lose steam. They're like, I don't want to study anymore. I'm done. I, I want to go work. And then they get lost because Bachelor of Arts in Psychology immediately the mind doesn't go, okay, I can't become a counselor now because I don't have a PhD. So they feel like lost. Their identity is gone. And what we decided to do was use data to kind of see how, if I, if I look at million psychology degree holders, bachelor's degree, how have they been successful, right? So we analyzed resumes to figure out what was their first job? What, were, what happened in five years, in 10 years, in 15 years? How many CEOs are there? with a psychology degree and we charted out the career path for people and helping students out to understand they can be successful in life whichever path they take we just have to have that intent understand your skill and work towards it so data is so important that we really live by it we are using it for fervid group now we are using it for career unleashed uh, and the more we look at data the more patterns and trends come out and that's where the world is going with this whole AI and data science, you know, the more we think along those lines, I think that's another way to grow our company to that next level. I, I love that. That's great. I mean, that's such a great and necessary product 
to have. I mean, so is the distribution, is that kind of getting it into schools? I know you're working with like companies and potentially schools. So kind of what, yeah, what's the plan? Yeah, no, so that's the challenge, right? So you bring up a very interesting point. What is the revenue generating model here? So uh, we uh, went after college students uh, as a trial. And in a smaller group, when we did uh, user groups, the idea worked very well. But then you take that and start talking about it in social media, we realize that we are not B2C experts, business to consumer experts. So that takes a longer time to be successful, to really communicate what you're communicating without you being there, if that makes any sense. Even videos didn't help. But then I understood B2B very well. So I took the algorithms and took it to companies and they started saying that your algorithms are so good that we can use it to understand our own human capital inside of our company so these are big companies you know where are they hiring from so the same algorithms could be used internally but when you go b2b you now have to start building a team around b2b so there are challenges on both sides and we are still trying to figure out where is our sweet spot whether we want to play in the students high school zone do we want to go into the b2b world and i don't have an answer for that very clearly yet to be very honest with you still working on it Since we have both the companies, it's always kind of which, again, the focus, you know, Uh, if you put focus on one thing, the other thing is shelved. Uh, So we we are trying to figure that equation out for ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I, I might have asked, yeah, a a little bit of a tougher question, but I I appreciate the the transparency. I think it's real as an owner, especially agency owner, there's a million ideas you could try to execute on. But to go back to your point, find the couple that you can kind of have in the works. And there's different focus areas that you said per quarter, per year for each one. And it's okay to have things in development and to test something and kind of figure it out and go back to the drawing board. But, you know, it's not for this quarter, for its next quarter. And, you know, this podcast is about navigating the recruiting journey and a lot of that, you know, a lot of people listening are agency owners and that's just a very real, that's just going to happen. And I think sometimes that's not what's talked about. And I know I've been guilty of throwing way too much on my plate and having to reel stuff in and to kind of focus again. That's why I, I waited to build out the end agency until I had the right focus and the right people really in place to carry through, right. That vision. So no, I, I think the, the product and you have the product, the data, I mean, it's really sound and you know, it can help. Sometimes it's just finding that vehicle and that doesn't exactly happen overnight. Uh, that's okay too. It doesn't mean that it won't happen. Um, so I, I think it's just super valuable for people to, to hear and be reminded of um, because as owners, it's easy to just take on everything all, all at once. And I think once you get experience, you realize like, all right, that's not really feasible. Like how do we do this the right way? Prioritize the right way. Correct. Absolutely. And then you, you start thinking about the plan, right? So when, when uh, you are stretched too thin, uh, you can also think about what is your strength and what do you enjoy doing the most? If it is uh, more on the client interaction side, do you need to hire a vice president or sometimes even hire a CEO? There's no ego. You are building a business. You're still the founder. And uh, if you feel that, okay, you know, we need to have a CEO manage the whole business, but I'm going to be helping grow like sales. And that's the way you start understanding your own skills and then bringing the right people in. They always say, right, if you are the smartest in the room, you're doing something wrong. You need to be surrounding yourselves with people where you are also learning from them. That's how you will grow. And um, that's, that's a challenge a founder faces because sometimes they feel that, 
you know, uh, I started the company, I have my way of doing it, I'm just going to keep doing it my way. Well, that's okay, but if you want to grow, there are other ways and other people who could help you grow. So we have to sometimes take a step back. And these are these are topics which are more difficult. I don't know whether we have time to discuss all of this because, you know, in an agency, another problem that happens is you might not have a lot of money to experiment because what I mean by that is you hire a salesperson and you hope that the salesperson will start bringing you revenue. What What happens if he or she, for any reason, can't? Uh, and you are already eight months into it, you are, you start stressing out, saying that oh, my money is going away, no money is coming in. And once you take a couple of bad steps like that, you have taken your business a year behind because you just lost that cash flow. And then you have to start again from that point on. And these are real challenges. You know, sometimes we say that, oh, okay, this CEO is successful, that CEO is successful. Well, yeah, sure, they are successful, but they have also had their own challenges. They have learned through doing some of these things, executing it, and then learning and changing their method, right? So, yeah, we have grown tremendously, but Absolutely. our journey has not been that easy. I mean, we've learned from our mistakes. We are still learning. We don't know everything. That's why we work with you. So, you know, we, we, it's, it's a network of individuals that we work together and, uh, and grow. It's just, I love it. It's just real. It's just reality. It's how it is. And there's a lot of fulfillment that could be had, a lot of wins that can come from just being honest about that journey. Um, and yeah, it kind of takes a lot of the weight off when you just approach it that way. And it allows the opportunity for success to kind of come into the door, right? When, when you can have that approach, um, you know, I guess we kind of, as we wind things down, you know, kind of to go off that topic, you know, if you kind of start from scratch or someone is starting from scratch as owning an agency, what's kind of the one big one or two pieces of advice you would give them? So to me, first is, uh, I'm sorry, but I have to go back to mindset, right? So, and we'll talk real tactics as well. But one of the big things is believe in yourself. There was something in you that made you start this agency. There was something in you that uh, said that you will be successful and the road is going to be rough. The first few years are tough. But don't lose that faith or belief system that you can do it. And then smaller, smaller steps, meaning, you know, in making my business successful, I had to use my product management philosophy. And that is pragmatic marketing. You know, you can look at it on, you know, you started the company because you had some expertise. How are you going to commun communicate that expertise to the outside world? Uh, few people know you very well, but how outside of that few people, what is your messaging to that world on your expertise? How are you going to convince them? The value proposition. And then what tools are you using to convince people, right? Some people use like market newsletters. They will, they will go and prove to people saying, I understand this market very well. Some people look at finance strategies and say that, you know, I read your financial strategy this is where you're going. I know this area very well. This is the proof. I know it very well. So you have to choose that tool as to which tool am I comfortable with to really make a difference in that particular marketplace. And then do everything that you do. This is all from my own learnings with passion, meaning, you know, don't, don't do it because you have to do it. Do it so that the experience is so great for yourself and for the others who work with you that they are like, wow, this was brilliant. We really enjoyed this whole process and I want to do it again with you, right? And so the first ones, there might be some hiccups, 
that's okay. Learn from it. Use it again. Also, the last thing I would say is walk away from clients who you think you're not going to be able to serve. Uh, we've learned that difficult way as well. Uh, sometimes you don't know till you start working for a client. Uh, and then you realize that this culture is not working for me, then why would it work for my candidates? And you need to be brave enough to say, you know, we need to walk away from this particular opportunity because it's not doing justice. I'm not sleeping well. Uh, you know, I always say, if you're not sleeping well, there's a problem. Uh, you, you know, rethink your strategy. But no, I'll, I'll, I'll take a pause there, Clark. Is that what you wanted from me? I'm not sure. <laughs> Oh, it's it's amazing. It, it, it's it's that and some. So as always, I mean, just that piece alone, that is the that's the mindset, right? The 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 mindset, the messaging. Then once you dial that in, right? How do you scale some of that messaging with the tools and being able to walk away from bad clients or bad or bad fit? You know, I mean, that's if you it's hard, easier said than done. But if you follow that, you'll go really far with some consistency and some persistence in this world. So no, it, it's brilliant. And I just, I appreciate you being on here, sharing your journey, your insights. I appreciate you just as a, as a partner and working with your company. Um, I just think that the way you approach it and just kind of the, the kindness that you have in an industry that is tough and grueling, I think really resonates. Um, and it's no surprise that you've built what you've built. So um, I, I just appreciate you being on here. Well, it has been a phenomenal discussion, Clark. I'm, I'm so thankful for you to um, even reaching out to me and you thought that you needed to spend one hour of your time. I know you're super busy. This has been a brilliant discussion. I'm looking forward to uh, working with uh, you even more next year. But uh, yeah, no, thank you for having me. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Avi. And uh, this was awesome. Make sure to, you know, give it a little love, five-star rating, whatever it is, download, share with, you know, your recruiter friends. We, we appreciate all the support that you can give the podcast and uh, we'll stay tuned for, for next time. In the meantime, happy hunting, everyone. Mm-hmm.